On today's podcast, I interview Lou Tharp, who is one of our clients, but he doesn't live local. He comes down once a month uh, to do swim lessons, and he has a tremendous background in coaching for triathlon and triathlon swimming specifically. He was the swimming coach for triathlon at West Point, um, and he's just an all-around interesting guy and really knowledgeable has just so many great stories, and I could talk to him for hours. Uh, I really enjoyed the podcast with him. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast as well. I just wanted to give you a slight disclaimer. Uh, audible, or audible, <laughs> the audio is um, really good voice-wise, but we did record it uh, at our Sterling location while there was clients there, so you might hear some noises in the background. Don't worry about it. You'll be able to hear us clearly. So without... Any further delay, here's the podcast. Audio is up. All right, so we are up and going. We're not live, so to speak, because we don't do this live, but we're hot. How about that? We're on. Um, so uh, welcome to Swim Out of the Box. Thank you. I will be your host today because last time it was my lovely wife, Lissa. So I'm Dominic Latella, if you're just listening for the first time. But Lissa hosted the last episode with our dear friend from USMS, uh, Bill Brenner. And I'm oh, here yeah. today joined with Lou Thor- Tharp. Right. Tharp. If you think the name sounds familiar, it's because of a dancer. Is that what you right. said? Uh, choreographer, Twyla Tharp. Oh. No relation, but when she has a show up, it's really easy to get a table at a restaurant. Okay. Because they say Tharp, Twyla Tharp, and you go, yeah, sure. That's the ticket. Yeah. Uh, so, Lou, give us uh, a sort of rundown of your swimming background or your swimming credentials, uh, who you are in the swimming world, and who you are as a person, if you want. Sure. Great. Thank you, Dominic. Yeah. Um, good to be on. Thank you. Uh, I started swimming when I was 45. Wow. Uh, I didn't swim in high school, obviously. Um, uh, gay kids didn't play sports when I was growing up in the 60s. Uh, I'm gay, so I stayed away from locker rooms. I didn't do anything with sports. When I was 45, I weighed about 275 pounds. Wow. And I had high blood pressure. I had all the things you have when you weigh 275 pounds. Right. And uh, I decided one day that that was going to stop. And that I was no longer going to be that person. Wow. So I got a team of people together, a psychologist, a coach, um, a trainer, a couple of different docs, a nutritionist, mm-hmm. a chiropractor, anybody <laughs> I could find. And, uh, and I started swimming. I always liked to swim. Uh, I always liked the water, but I never really knew how to swim. Wow. So I mean, I, at 45, that's some. Yeah. Impressive, so, by the way. You know, I got down, uh, I got the weight off, and uh, it's still a struggle to keep the weight off, as it is with pretty much everybody. I know right. 75% of the people in the U.S. are obese, and, uh, and so I still work at it, but I started swimming. I swim competitively. Uh, I swim open water as well as uh, pool swims. I have 13 USMS FINA records, uh, not records, sorry, uh, medals. <laughs> medals, not no records yet, not yet. No records. Yeah, I have to get older. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's all that's, a, that's a long game. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> as long as you, you know, it gets to the point where you show up, you swim, and uh, sooner or later you're going to get it. So Right. Um, but uh, I just started open water about 
five years ago. Okay. And, uh, and I like it, uh, but I really like pool swimming better. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't like wetsuits. I prefer to swim without a wetsuit. And in the USMS uh, championships, you can't wear a wetsuit anyway. Right. So you have these 59-degree water days Oof. with two or three feet waves. And people in my age group, I'm 68, and people in my age group uh, drop out. Yeah. So, you know, you get to medal. Chance to medal. That's right. You do. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it, it is as much about strategy as it is about fitness and sure. about technique yeah. and all of that. So. Anyway, I was in the dot-com world in the 90s. Uh, at the end of the 90s, after the crash, I started a foundation with another person called the Global Healthy Living Foundation. Okay. Uh, we work with people who have chronic disease. Uh, we're at state legislators uh, and in Washington arguing for patients. That's who we represent. Uh, we have uh, operations in Australia and in Latin America. Wow. Um, and so our job is to create healthier people and to give them the pathway to get healthy when they have a chronic disease. So our biggest uh, group of people are people with autoimmune arthritis. Okay. Um, that's rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, uh, uh, psoriatic arthritis. Uh, they're on biologics, they're on very expensive drugs, and we fight to get the price of those treatments lowered every day because you know, we fight with insurance companies and, and, and is it, governments. And is it the same in Latin America and Australia? No. That, no. Okay, so it's a different issue then. We, we have the worst health care system in, of any nation, any developed nation. Right. It's the worst, clearly. That's if you're a billionaire, it's the best. <laughs> but if you're, normal, if you're an average person, it's the worst. Uh, okay. When you get sick, you're expected to fight. And in every other country, when you get sick, you're expected to get well. Right. And in every other country, industrialized country, yeah. they focus on staying well and being healthy and prevention. Here, we really it's, have a sick care system. Not yeah, it's reactionary, system. right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so anyway, I was a uh, coach at West Point uh, for the uh, triathlon team. I coach swimming. Um, and it is, um, it is uh, I had never coached before, and I wound up at a Division I school because I, I practiced there. And I swam every morning early, and there were a couple of cadets who were swimming, and they were horrible. They were so bad. <laughs> and finally, I stopped. And I said, you know what? I can't continue to swim with you next to me. You've know, you got to stop. You're distracting and, me. Yeah, you really are. You're driving me crazy. So, so I said, uh, you know, can we just work together for a few laps? So we did, and they were appreciative. But then again, when we're in bathing suits, they don't know if I'm a general or the janitor. Right. You know, so, <laughs> so they're going to be, yeah, they're, gonna, they're not stupid. <laughs> and so anyway, about three or four days later, several cadets started showing up in the morning. So they finally said, hey, why don't you be the coach for our triathlon team, uh, swim coach? We have a run coach. We have a bike coach. So, of course, it wasn't quite that easy. Uh, right, you know, I had to interview right. and I had to do all these things. But uh, I, I got hired. Yeah. And that was in 2005. Um, and okay. the three of us took the team to second place in Collegiate Nationals wow. the next year. That's, that's very impressive. Me, yeah. But it was good. They were in 26th place before. Wow. And these were just kids. These were cadets. Right. You know, you don't get to recruit cadets for triathlon. You right. take what you get. So Yeah. So anyway, then I took an appointment in the Obama administration after that, working for the Army. Okay. Uh, reporting to Secretary of the Army um, and working as kind of the red team person where we would go in and look at what the Army was doing and give our opinions about how well it was being implemented and, 
and where the successes were, where the challenges were. And uh, I actually outlasted uh, uh, Barack Obama. <laughs> My term was until 2018. Wow, so, uh, <laughs> nice. I, I, I was out in April, so. But anyway, I know you don't want to talk about all that. So. Well, it's, I, uh, I, it's a fascinating to hear the lives that you have lived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of cool. Um, and we know each other through your West Point coaching in that True. one of your former athletes right. who has turned pro uh, has come to Swimbox for lessons uh, on occasion. And so he figured you should come and visit. And I think what we saw each other a couple of weeks ago, like three or four weeks ago right. and hit it off. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't express how nice it was to be coaching someone with a coaching background that was as open-minded to changing uh, technique as you were. Uh, it's, yeah. it's hard to come by, all right? So your coaching for swimming was mostly based in total immersion. Is that accurate? That's Is that correct. Accurate for me to say? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. I just don't want to, like, out, no. you know, over-speak. Or no, I was a total disciple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So um, the way that we've been working on your freestyle is almost completely opposite of what you originally learned. So it's been really interesting. That's right. Um, and we just did a three-hour lesson together, which is pretty epic as far as information overload. And for myself, by the way, the fact that we're doing a podcast after talking right. for three hours yeah, already right. is pretty, uh, it's very telling, right? It's, yeah. it's telling that we have a lot to say to each other true. <laughs> and a lot true. to learn from each other. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about our lesson later because I'm more interested in your foundation because I think it's okay. really yeah. uh, important. I think uh, you right before we started recording, you were just you were telling me about um, just the approach with the foundation. So if you want to go with more in detail about sure. the foundation, I would lo love for people to learn about it, how people can, if they can get involved, if they can sure. help in some way. Yeah. I'd love people yeah. to know. So. Please. So the, the, the one of the major communities in the foundation is the one that works with folks who have arthritis. So it's called Creaky Joints. <laughs> and it's creakyjoints.org. And the foundation is ghlf.org or Global Healthy Living Foundation. And what we try to do is to bring people to the point where they can both intellectually and physically accept exercise and fitness into their chronic disease. Right. Because when you get, especially autoimmune arthritis, or if you have migraine, uh, if you have cardiovascular issues, you have both self-imposed and medically imposed limitations on what you can do. Right. It doesn't mean you can't be fit. And we really believe that, that fitness helps you feel better regardless of yeah. what disease you have. People who work out more and who engage in aerobic activity um, report fewer migraines. Um, now, we're not offering a cure for migraines. That's right. not where we are. Right. Um, but we know that physical fitness has a positive impact on your right. life. Yeah. And that's the connection we want to make. Yeah. So we have, in the past, gone around and taught people how to swim. So we'll go to retirement centers, we'll go to nice. um, community centers, we'll go to anywhere people can come for free and learn how to swim. That's amazing. And, and people are so appreciative. Yeah. You know, we'll go to a Jewish community center, we'll go to various places that have a pool, and, and 
the 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 excitement and the gratitude is incredible. Yeah, they absolutely love it. Um, so, um, just to to add on to that, by the way. One of the things I do for U.S. Master Swimming is teach adult learn to swim certifications. That's right. To yeah, yeah. to instructors as well as uh, an adaptive swimming certification that is based off of that adult learn to swim cert. Um, and I need to get you in touch with Bill Renner. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. there needs to be a connection there. Uh, we we Absolutely. really really focus on trying to teach adults how to swim to correct the problem you were talking about before the podcast about kids not getting involved in sports they can do for their entire life. Because yeah. if an adult learns how to swim, a child is 81% more likely right. to learn right. to swim. And I mean, isn't that interesting? We, we were talking about that before that in the United States, not true in, in Western Europe, Scandinavia, or many parts of Asia, but in the US, we teach kids sports at the earliest level that they cannot do when they become adults. And it makes no sense. So yeah. we teach the basketball, football, uh, baseball. You're not gonna be playing those sports except for slow pitch softball when you're right. 60 years old. Maybe flag football, or but flag football, <laughs> maybe. But, maybe. And, the, and where's the aerobic fitness level there? You know, right. you're gonna play that on a weekend. You know, you're not gonna do that. And what happens is that in addition to that, we elevate the people who can play those sports well, mm -hmm. and the rest of us sit in the bleachers and watch them right. through high school. Right. And then even fewer people are elevated in college, and we watch them in college. We pack the stadiums to watch people stay or exhibit their level of physical fitness. Right. And what are we doing? We're drinking beer, and we're eating potato <laughs> chips, and we're eating $9 hot dogs. Right, right. And, and, and so then what happens is we get more and more out of shape. We get more and more unfamiliar with what it feels like to be physically fit. And I was there too. Yeah. That was me. Swimming is the only sport I know of, except for doubles tennis, if you play it carefully, that you can play what when is, you're um, 70 or 80 years old. Wh what is that? Pickleball. 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 God help us pickleball. Yes, pickleball right. is right. taking yes. over the, exactly. the country for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think and that's was, good. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. great. Uh, there was, I think some report that just came out that doubles tennis is a, there's a correlation with doubles tennis in life expectancy. I believe that. Right. Oh, Cause yeah. it's, it's yeah. social and right. it's active at the same time. Right. right. And where swimming could be just as social and active at the same time. Right. Exactly. Every time you come to the wall, you can sit there and talk to each other. That's right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so while you were, were kind of, articulating this i was kind of thinking in my mind that you're right with all the the, the sports that are games kind of like baseball or basketball or football or volleyball all those things are not an emphasis on cardiovascular activity within the sport itself right right it's the cross training that those athletes are are trained that's true to stay fit yes and that's where people I think are missing the mark, right? They're That's not a good point. They're being taught the skills of that sport, but they're not being taught the skills You're of right. the cross training. So it's kind of interesting to think about like that. You're right. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Very true. Because so, yeah. all the football teams, you know, where do they go first? They go to the gym. Yep. You know, they've got, you know, incredible workout facilities in order to play a two hour game. Right. That's a really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if there's needs to be an emphasis on in, in within schools. I've always been told that PE in schools was actually developed 
during World War II to get people in ready to go to the army. Oh, that's interesting, right? Because yeah, yeah. got like dodgeball and those things kind of right. came out of the fifties, right? But like you know, before that, why were people doing physical activity? Well, it wasn't probably to to be great at sport as right. much as it was just to be ready to go to war. So, so th- that I don't know if that's up- true or not. This is a podcast. I am not an expert. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have an incredible freedom on a podcast. Uh, I do know the last number I saw was twenty three percent of age eligible people could not qualify for interested to the army. Wow. And because that's of the physical high. fitness test. That's very high. And so, yeah. I mean, Do you know if that number has increased over so, decades? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that means only 23% qualify. So, you know, we, we have, because of the, the um, because of our philosophy about fitness in the U.S., we have hamstrung the military. We have created... Uh, um, chronic diseases that we all yeah. are susceptible to. Type 2 diabetes. Yeah. We get it. You know, uh, 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 high cholesterol, high right. blood pressure, all of these things. It's crazy. And if you work in, in Western European countries, so Scandinavia, for mm-hmm. example, and, and all the way down to the Netherlands, mm-hmm. uh, bicycles are an integral part of your life. Right. That's it. You go to, you go to, the, to, to Amsterdam... You're going to ride a bike. Right. That's it. You go to Copenhagen, everybody rides bikes. And yes. here, people don't do that. Granted, it's a little more dangerous here because people haven't quite been assimilated. Bikes haven't been assimilated yeah. into the traffic pattern. But we don't think fitness, and, and we really have to change that. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm an old guy. I remember when Kennedy said, you know, we're going to go to the moon, and we're all going to become physical, physically fit. And there was the President's Council on Physical Fitness. And in junior high school, we were getting little medals from John Kennedy for wow. running 50 yards and for doing that. <laughs> Kids today, a lot of times, there is no phys ed in schools. And it's very sad. That is sad. Yeah. That was the, well, the only thing I excelled at in school. So Is that right? <laughs> that it's lunch. the only thing I didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I never did it. I would, I would do it, but I was... Um, right. So... Uh, I want to talk about, speaking of, of, of our country not being focused on fitness, mm-hmm. I think if we bring that back to swimming, yeah. a lot of people who swim get focused on the way they swim, and that's it. Right. And, and it can seriously suck. And yeah. This I, is what can. I do, and this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm done now. Right. Moving forward. I mean, I have really good friends I swim with, and one guy swims with no goggles because he doesn't believe in them. <laughs> they and, exist. Yeah, yes. I know. And, yeah, you're right. You can see them. <laughs> yeah, they and, exist. But and and he swims. He's like a bulldozer in the water. But you know what? It's a great aerobic workout for him. He gets he gets his heart rate up to 150. He's probably 60 years old. It's pretty good. And he's good, but he's a horrible swimmer. And so what happens is I, I've been swimming with him now for maybe six years. He's starting to lose interest in swimming now. And I can understand why. Right. You it's so hard. Yeah. You know, it's just, guy's crazy the way he, he has to build himself up to swim, and then he swims, and then he feels okay, but he's never really happy. Yeah. And we need to be able to really, and, and, and I, it's why I appreciate what you're doing, because swimming is the only sport that I know of that changes regularly. I remember Doc right. Councilman said, "Put your head up, look where you're going." Yeah, you know nobody does that now. Right, you know, and Doc Councilman had people doing 25 yards on 30 seconds, and everybody thought he was crazy, and they thought <laughs> you're abusing these college kids. <laughs> Indiana University kids will never be the same. 
And so he did some stuff right, he did some stuff wrong. Right. But he changed a lot of things. Yes. And, and so did the, uh, the Stanford coaches in the 90s, uh, uh, Richard Quick. Yeah. Bill Bloomer. I, I um, learned from both of them early absolutely. on in my career. They were yeah. like definitely uh, instructing role models for me. Right. Like, and oh, my God, these guys are so smart about this. Exactly. Yeah. They would, we would go, I went to a couple other swim camps, and I forgot the name of the man's coach. It's so embarrassing. It'll come to me in a minute. But they would spend on a day, we would spend half the day out of the water at the chalkboard just talking. Yeah. And they were just all about, especially Bill Boomer. And he never swam a lap in his life. He never got in the water. He was a coach at Rochester. He was a, a consultant at Rochester, then huh. a coach. And he never got in the water, and, but he understood motion and he understood right. propulsion and was, he understood um, these things. Was I, I'm, I don't want to conflate people, but was, was Boomer the guy that could draw like a swimmer just with like freehand on a chalkboard or a whiteboard? Have yeah. you ever seen him do that? Yes. It, yes. Um, I mean, because I had right. come from an art background and it's yeah. like this dude is demonstrating amazing right. life drawing skills. Well, we used to accuse him of coming in early <laughs> and putting a template up and putting <laughs> pencil on the, draw, yeah, on the board I, so I'm, he could draw. I'm certain if someone went to YouTube yeah. and, and YouTube uh, Bill Boomer drawing or right, swimming drawing, right, right. something would come up. Exactly. And, and I think everyone listening to this should do that because yeah. it's incredibly impressive. Right. Right. I, w I draw all the time on, on the whiteboard for my clients. Yeah. I wish I had the ability to draw like yeah. he does. Yeah, I know. Um, so yeah. I, I did a lot of the learning from uh, Richard Quick from like DVDs back in like yeah. the early 2000s. Right. And Bill Boomer's on there yeah. drawing and you could see yeah. him do it on the DVD. And it's just like, how did, how did he just do that? Right. <laughs> it's really cool. So anyway, yeah. we digress. Um, so yeah. Uh, Terry Lachlan also came out of this group. Yeah. And when he first started... His ideas were absolutely radical. The whole idea, and he worked with Bill Boomer on reducing drag. That was right. like a big deal. People didn't talk about that in the 70s and the 60s. And, and so he had a very specific way of swimming that helped hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people overcome fear and get in the water and yeah. start swimming. Yeah. And, I mean, he got me swimming. And, yeah. And he had a very persuasive way of teaching. And he could, and I always said this, you know, when he was alive, I would say this to him, that he could piss off master's coaches on Monday morning in any city he went to on Sunday afternoon. Because <laughs> people would go to the master's, yep. <laughs> they would go to swim, and I'd go, I'm not using the kickboard. I'm right. not using the fins. I'm not using the right. paddles. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. This guy Terry told me to do this, right. so I'm going to do that. I'm going to count my strokes now, and I'm going to do this. Right. And you could just see the smoke coming out of these coaches' heads. <laughs> but in Terry's defense, a lot of these coaches were horrible. Yeah. They would write, on, you know, 25 50s, 100, you know, this, right. and, and 10 200s, and on and on. And it was just crazy. It was like you just slogged through the water. You got right. out. You had no idea what you did. You put no thought into it. So right. he really brought thought to it. And that's where I'm coming from. And, and I think that, you know, again, I mean, I've always said the only thing that's changed in basketball is the three-point rule and the shoes. That's it. <laughs> right. And, but in swimming, every year it changes. Yes. There's something different every year. And if you don't adapt to that and you don't try it out, then you lose. Yeah, it's it's closing a door before it opens, Absolutely. right? Being, being, Absolutely. It, it is technically closed-minded. I don't want to accuse anyone of being closed-minded. Yeah. But so many master swimmers in particular uh, 
are are going to practice not to improve their swimming, but to get, to get yardage done. Right. All right. right. And for me, mentally, I don't ever care about yardage. I yeah. care about the quality of that yardage. Yeah. Was it good yards? Right. Was I was I improving my technique, and was I getting faster because of that improvement? And I didn't learn until after college. If I swam less, I swam. Definitely, definitely. Which was a huge sort of weird uh, epiphany for me. Being like, oh my God, I'm only swimming four times a week for maybe an hour, hour and a half. Right. Versus college, I was swimming three hours a day. That's right. Five or six days a week. Yeah. You know, so it's like, whoa, why am I faster now swimming less? Well, because I had better understanding, better technique. Yeah. And I gave myself the opportunity to learn versus just go. Exactly. So, and I, I think where... It's interesting because I like history. I love history. I love knowing where certain concepts or cultures or ideas come from. And there's mm-hmm. definitely uh, a culture wrapped around total immersion. Yeah, definitely. And I didn't know that, you know, there was kind of a, you can draw conclusions from Quick to sure. Laughlin, right? Right. So oh, it's, yeah. it's kind of cool to hear that history a little bit because it makes sense yeah. because I used to really idolize Richard Quick in uh-huh. It, it kind of like was this weird reminder to me that, oh, the way I think about swimming was probably developed by watching those videos and how Richard Quick wanted to break things down and wanted to understand things and, and, and questioned mm-hmm. what someone should do in order to go faster. Right. Uh, and I'm a huge proponent of like questioning everything you do. Agreed. Never, never say the same. Uh, it drives Lisa, my wife, crazy. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> So the the I think the the most interesting part about this constant change is that everybody interprets it differently because there are so many you know uh, again we talked about this earlier during our during our practice the water doesn't care what you do yeah though you know if you don't manage your own body the water won't Right. But when you're running, if you don't manage your body, you're going to bleed. You'll hurt yourself. Yeah, you'll fall over. Yeah, right, exactly. Break your ankle. You'll do something. Yeah. Same on a bike. And so what happens is that I always get a kick out of I'm going to digress just a second. Sure. There was, a, there was like a six-month period where everybody had these bike helmets that ended in a point to the bike. Right, right. Remember that? The arrow, yeah. One of them on a few TV shows <laughs> and they disappeared. And people were so worried about the aerodynamics of that. Well, water is how many times thicker than air? Uh, I believe four times at sea level. Yeah, and so you Actually, should it's more really than that. care. Sorry. You should care a lot about what you're doing in the water because reducing drag is enormously important. Right. And and so we don't give enough thought to that. And so the that four four times is yeah. is the amount of drag increase as your velocity increases. Yeah, right. So that's right. Exactly. The faster you go. Yeah. you're going to produce four times the amount of drag. Yeah. So that means you have to be that much more concerned about drag. That's right. right? And I think at sea level, it's more like 20 times yeah. more uh, right. resistance. Than you know, the it's like a, a tractor trailer. The, the big trucks, right. they can't go over 85. They just can't because it's physically impossible. The air, right. doesn't, the, the resistance is too great. And when you get swimming, you know, the swimming is swimming, the faster you get, the harder it gets. Yes. And, uh, and so that's like critical. And I think that, that we need to continue to explore ways to reduce drag. Right. You know, and to increase power. Right. And, and I think that, that the other problem, though, and it's really, it is, this is a problem. The other is a challenge. Mm-hmm. This is really a problem. And, 
and the kids I coached had the same problem, I had the same problem, that if you spend X amount of time working on technique, by the end of the practice, you feel like you haven't done enough. Right. I, you feel like, you know, you, you feel like an Irish setter, you just want to be run. It's right. like, okay, now when do I get to actually do that? Right. If you're on a bike or a rowing machine or if you're running, that's easy. You know, you can, you can watch, you know, you can watch your power outage. You know, if yep. you're on a rower, if you're on a, a Peloton or something, you can play around. And you can because you're clipped in because uh, on a bike because you've got certain limitations on a rowing machine. You can express all the power you want and not worry about your, your, your stroke, not worry about your <laughs> technique going all to hell. Right. But it doesn't happen in the water. Right. So you wind up feeling a little frustrated because your heart rate didn't get up. You really want to do something. You want to run a little bit. Yeah. But then if you do, you're going to fall back into your old habits. And so there's that constant tension there. Right. It's just, it, it's, it's very frustrating. So I, I have, a, the, the attempt I've made to solve this problem is to try to help people understand seasonal training when they're on their off season. So in this area, that's typically around November or just after the middle of November. Yeah. So when you're in your off season, that's your time to just be obsessed with how you move, not obsessed with how fast you're going, not worried about how far you've gone. Who cares? Yeah. It's the off season. All right. So it's about learning those new movements in the off season. And then as you get closer to maybe, let's see, January, February, into March, now you're adding a lot more distance and a little bit more speed work. And so then by the time you're in March and beyond, you've got endurance now, you're a little less focused on technique, but still always kind of touching base with technique and, and incorporating endurance with speed work with a little bit of technique work. And mm -hmm. so it's just understanding that there are seasons where it's better to do certain things. Yeah. That is yeah. important for triathletes for sure. In the swimming world, it is much more difficult because the seasons all bleed together. They do. Um, right. Typically in this area, we only have August, maybe three weeks in August that right. people aren't swimming. Right. All right. Well, then, well, there's no real off season. <laughs> right. It's, it's like Very you get true. no swimming right. and then you're right back at it again. Um, I think more and more younger coaches are starting to work in this idea of building up these seasons and going, okay, for these first, I don't know, four to six weeks, we're not going to be too concerned about endurance or sprinting. Right. Let's just learn how to move better. And then, you know, after that six week cycle, then they can go maybe add a little bit more endurance, but still have a balance of 50, 50 balance right. and technique all right, right, or endurance and technique. And then as they go further, they can go speed work, technique and endurance. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast, but it's really important for people to understand you can't build speed off of a broken aerobic system. Right. So you have to develop aerobic yeah. first and then anaerobic. And what I see a lot of my young clients, their coaches in the swim world who aren't developing anaerobic systems, they start sprinting immediately and right. then they will never achieve their goal because yeah. they will actually start going slower because right. now their body can't sustain itself. That's right. That's All right? right. So it's really yeah. important for people to understand that as they're listening to this, that it's a problem to be solved based off of, my opinion, seasonal planning. So yeah, I agree. It's a way to approach it. So what do you think about dry land training? Um, Weights. So I, I think more importantly for swimming is dry land training anaerobically, or sorry, 
I got that backwards, aerobically. Yeah. And I, aerobic, true aerobic conditioning needs to be greater than 30 minutes of continual movement. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, when was the last time you swam nonstop for 30 minutes? It right. doesn't happen. An open That's, water race. Right, exactly. Yeah, a 5K. In the race itself. <laughs> right. right. So it doesn't happen yeah. training-wise for swimming. Right. So early on, I like people to try to do maybe two or three days of steady state cardio where it's maybe they're in their like, you know, high zone two, low zone three, around mm-hmm. 70% effort sustained for around 45 minutes. And that could be running. It could be walking uphill. It can be on elliptical. I don't really care how they do it. Mm-hmm. But aerobic is aerobic, right? So if yeah. your heart is getting stronger, your yeah. body's learning how to use oxygen better, right. it's going to transfer into the water, right? Right. So I ask people to do that on land first. And then when it comes to strength and conditioning parts, I think of conditioning more than strengthening in that mobility, flexibility are absolutely more important than strength in swimming. Strength is a factor. But if you can't achieve a position because you have a limited mobility or bad flexibility, right. it doesn't matter how strong you are. Um, greatest example is how can a 14-year-old girl travel faster than a 30-year-old male? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not because of strength, right? Less drag because right. of flexibility and mobility. Yep. So yep. I always want people to be more focused on that piece first. Interesting. And then, uh, then obviously strength is a part of learning how to go faster but it's not the first part, I don't think. I think right. it's somewhere in that, that sequence, but not first. Um, so going back to what we learned today, so I was, I was teaching Lou about how Swimbox approaches freestyle. We call it circle freestyle. And that's all based on momentum. So you don't need to be really strong as long as you can keep a good steady cadence and the strength is from your trunk. Right. right, keeping things in working order where things aren't going to be separating from each other. So I'm that's not, aerobic capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. So and then, so for my kids that are getting mistrained, in my opinion, where they're going too much anaerobic too early. Yeah. I've already asked them to um, try to find time out of the water to do these sort of steady state cardio workouts. So, right. uh, which is hard for them because they're, they hit the ground running with those practices. They do like 18 hours of practice the first week. I know. And it's like, well, that's not going to be good for them. I know. So, you know, how do you fit that in? They're going to have to figure out maybe a practice to skip because it, in my opinion, it might be smarter for them to swim less and get that actual aerobic work in. So something to consider for, for all athletes across the board whether it's playing tennis or whether it's it's swimming you need to have that aerobic base there is not a lot of aerobic work while playing tennis right it's mostly right anaerobic yeah right so it's the same thing going back to the idea of cross training Mm -hmm. in order to participate in sports so that's kind of an interesting thought you know speaking of anaerobic i don't know 10 years ago I do the 200 fly, mm-hmm. um, and I was taking creatine and working out. Mm-hmm. And creatine, as everybody knows, is really good for spurts, for, for bursts of speed. Mm-hmm. Um, so soccer, uh, water polo, great. Weightlifting? Yeah. 200 fly, not so great. <laughs> <laughs> and twice, I DQ'd the 200 fly. Huh. 
after 125 yards. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the worst feeling. I was gone. And that had never happened to me before. It took two times to realize it was the creatine. That's really interesting. And because I went right into anaerobic, my anaerobic capacity will last about a minute and a half. And that's it. So it was like at the 100, right, right around the 100, the 125, I just died. Wow. I mean, there was no negotiation. It was over. Wow. And I just limped in. And, and then it occurred to me, this is, this is your anaerobic uh, um, uh, system kicking Taking in. Taking over when it shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah, when you don't want it. Right. And, and even now, when I do a, like a 1500 uh, pool swim, uh, I'll, 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 I'll go out fast. Of course, because <laughs> you're not supposed to. Right. It feels so good. I do it the same really thing. I does. just want to get it done. So it's exactly. like go out fast, fly, it and die. It's good. And, and you know what? If you if you if you if you're determined to do a negative split, then once you cross that 750 mark or 800, then really pour it on for 200. Right. And you'll do a negative split. Then. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> but the, what happens is at about the 250 level uh, or distance. Uh, maybe 200, I'll get tingling in all of my extremities in my whole body. Huh. And, and then I get to the point where it's like, okay, if you don't get this under control, you're just going to shut down. Yeah. And you're going to look really ugly for the next <laughs> 1,300 yards. And, and so that whole, that balance between aerobic and anaerobic is so critical for me anyway. Yes. And, 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 you know, if I do it, I did it just last week. I jumped in and I did my warm-up. I did a 120 warm-up, a 120-100. That's fast for me. Yeah. And that was stupid. <laughs> I mean, I came in and it was like, it felt great, but what did you just do? Right. So, you know, the, the slow warm-up is so critical for me. Yeah. And also, I find that my warm-up now can take 1,500 yards. Wow. Honestly, by the time... You know, after 1,500 yards, I really feel like, okay, now let's Something's swim. clicked, right? Yeah, now let's do it. And, and I feel good, and I feel like everything is working. And maybe that's just because, you know, my muscle mass is, is you know, it, it, it goes away as you get older. Right. And, and I, I, I have found as people get older, the longer it takes for them to warm up. It's true. Yeah. It really is. And so you've got to enjoy that warm-up. And yeah. I really do. Yeah. I enjoy it. You think of yourself as like a seal off of San Francisco Bay, you know? <laughs> they just kind of fool around and they, you know, they sun splash themselves a, a bit, bit yeah, and yeah. they splash <laughs> and a little backstroke and yeah. a little bit of that, a little look out for a shark here and there. And, <laughs> and you know, and you have to enjoy that warm-up because yeah. if you don't, you're going to get very frustrated. Yeah, and, and just a side note, I think what's really important for people coming back to any sport off of an injury. Yeah. Be patient. Yeah. Give yourself the ability or time right. to develop the aerobic system. That's right. Um, I think that is something that people do terribly. They want to get back to it, and they don't give themselves enough time to build that aerobic system. Right. And then they find themselves struggling and go, I've lost everything. I, right. I used to be able to run 10 miles, no problem. Now I can barely run a mile. Well, give yeah. yourself time. Be patient. Yeah. And, and you know what happens, and I've seen this in triathlons more than swimming, People start out too fast, mm -hmm. they don't warm up, and they panic. Yes, panic. And, and everybody is, you know, you determine, are you an inch away from panic or are you a foot away from panic? Everybody will panic at some point. Right. It's just, it's just a matter of where's your, where's your tolerance, where is it? It's happened to me. You know, I had a race on the Mediterranean uh, uh, just off of uh, north of Barcelona, 
and the water was about 58 degrees. I had a wetsuit I hadn't worn in about four years. Mm -hmm. It was a little tight, mm -hmm. and I got in the water, and I couldn't breathe. That was yeah. it. Yeah, cold I, water plus tight wetsuit oh, equals man. panic. And I didn't warm up, and it, it was a fight not to go into a full-fledged panic attack. Yeah. And, and everybody is, is, is susceptible to that. And, and that, that whole idea of balancing anaerobic, anaerobic, and balancing warm-up is so critical yeah. in competition. I, I think it's important for people to know that everyone is susceptible to panic attacks, Absolutely. especially in open water. Definitely. Especially. Does it well, matter? Yeah, but that's where the monsters are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter experience or how long you've been swimming. Nope. I have, I've, right. I myself swim plenty of open water. Yeah. The longer I'm in open water, that's when my mind oh, starts really? going. It's not this. Oh, that's it's not initially. It's always the longer I go. Oh, wow. it, in my mind, it feels like averages are going to like, <laughs> <laughs> like the numbers are not in my favor the longer I stay in this water, right? right so then right. that's where my mind starts going. And I have to like, you know, count my strokes or do other things yeah. to distract my, my negative thoughts right. and go, okay, I don't need to think about that, right? But it's, I've been swimming since I was 12 yeah. competitively. So even that's I right. hit open water now. It's that same thing. Yeah. So um, let's talk so that we don't you know, go on for hours because we could. Sure. Um, let's talk about some of the differences you were experiencing uh, today with how you traditionally swim freestyle. Like what you were learning today that you felt was like completely different or in almost eye-opening or moments of epiphanies in a way. Maybe so that I might be dramatic. <laughs> I would categorize them into three areas first. I think first is physical. Second, and that, or first is movement, not physical. First is movement. Okay. Second is, is thought process. And then third is physical. Okay. So the movement is just from a, from a, just from a, uh, uh, you know, a, a what goes where perspective it's very, very different from anything I've ever done. Okay. Um, the idea of the high elbow is just, you know, that's imprinted in my brain. Right. Um, and and you're, you're referring to the recovery for that. Uh, yeah, right, the recovery. Okay. Because the, the, and, and the idea that, you know, you have a high elbow in the recovery, you have a high elbow in the stroke. They both follow the same line. It's a straight line. Right. And, you know, you keep it close to your body so that there's less uh, drag. Right. And, and so... Looking at a very different way of, of moving is, is, is a, now becomes intellectually disruptive. So you have to right. think that through. Right. And you've got to figure out, okay, now wait a minute. What's happening here as I do this and how do I create in my brain space for this to happen? Right. Because if you don't, then it won't happen because... That's what controls all your movement, of course. Right. Then there's the, 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 the physical part of it, which I, I guess is a synonym for the musculature. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's happening to your muscles when you're doing this? Right. And, you know, I think about it. You know those little pillows you stand on to balance yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you stand on one of those and you stand on one leg. And you're not saying to yourself, um, okay, uh, in, invoke my psoas here. Uh, <laughs> right. No, I need my hip flexor now, and I do, you can't do that. Right. But after you do it for a minute or two minutes or three minutes, theoretically, you get better. Right. You know, Hopefully. Or 10 minutes or <laughs> yeah. three Hopefully. weeks or whatever it takes. Right. You get better. And, and the same is true, but what you knew enough to do was to pick your foot up and put it on the pillow and lift your other foot up. Those are kind of the gross physical movements. Right. The rest of it, 
your, your brain figures out. Right. So what we were working on today, one of the physical movements was repositioning the shoulder. Right. So you, you kind of lower the shoulder so that you're not, you're not in that hunched position where you're putting a lot of stress on rotator cuffs. Right. But you're now moving that down. And when you move that down, now you're able to invoke the, the, the lats, the traps, that other one, serratus. <laughs> serratus, uh, yeah. Your obliques. Obliques. All your, all yeah. your, like, all and, your core muscles, really. Right. They all fire. And but. so that's able to fire. When it's up and when it's tight, they don't fire because yeah. you're putting all the stress on, on the rotator cuff or the, um, the little... That little muscle looks like that behind your inside your shoulder blade. Um, yeah, Supersonus? Yeah, uh, no, uh, um, Scapu- not supraspinatus, not infraspinatus, uh, There you go. <laughs> and so, you know, you're putting all the weight on that tiny little muscle. Yeah. When you should be transferring that down to all of the larger muscles in your core. Right. So there are those three things that you have to pull together in a practice session yeah. that I think that are, can be very difficult to do. Yeah. It takes a long time. Right. And the, the, the issue with that is that as you practice it, you're going to pick up small bad habits as you move forward. Absolutely. Then you've got to come back, and then we've got to work again together. Right. And go, refine, okay, refine, part, refine. But right. there is that elbow thing, and, or there is this, <laughs> you know, there is this, this exit, and, and uh, hand exit, you know, or, or hip position, or any right. of those things. And so that's where, uh, honestly, I think endless pools are great. For this. Yes. And, and if you've ever swum in an endless pool and you've been bored. Yes. Y- yeah. Then you really need Dominic there. You really need somebody there who can say, okay, wait a minute, do this. And wait a minute, right. look at this. Because that's really what they're for. Right. The way they're advertised, when I see you know, people in, in our neighborhood, some people have put them in. And they say, yeah, I swim every day. In it, and I think, you've got to be out of your mind. It's got to be. I, yeah. I, we used to have an open water swimmer come and swim oh my God. straight. For really? like an hour. Oh, my God. Never stopping. At the same speed. At the same speed. Ugh. I, I have no idea how she sh- could do that. That is some mental fortitude. That is like the mental equivalent of knitting. <laughs> you know, you're just sitting there doing this over and over and over again. I, oh I don't have that ability. Yeah. I am not a distance swimmer, yeah. mostly because my attention span won't allow for it. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I think one of the, uh, I would say two of the, biggest differences that you had to experience today was the finish of your stroke, which yeah. was feathering outward. Uh, and then the idea that you don't have to rotate if your shoulder blade goes down, right. it rotates for you. I, I like just watching you experience that for the first couple of times right. was really cool. Cause you can see yeah. how it freed you up in a way. Right. It, like you didn't have to force anything. It yeah. just was happening. And yeah. I, I think that's actually really big contrast that people aren't used to experiencing in their swimming where they there's such an emphasis on rotation and i i I get it i get why Mm -hmm. but i think that emphasis also can be distracting and take people away from things that will make them better swimmers right so that was a big piece for me coaching you today so and, and i like i like instruction that solves problems that i don't know i have (laughs) <laughs> right. So, you know, it, it, it's, there are a lot of things you can do wrong. And if you focus on them all the time, the chances of, of, of correcting them get less and less as you continue to focus on them. But if you just say, you know, focus on the shoulder or 
you know, you on the feathering or when you come out of the water, just make your pinky come out first. Right. If your pinky comes out first, your elbow cannot come out first. No, not unless you're a contortionist. <laughs> yeah. But if you tell me to worry about my elbow coming out first, it's not going it, 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 to, it's not as efficient. It doesn't, right. it doesn't work as right. well. And it's, it's different for different people, right? So yeah. it's, it's your filter yes. taking whatever I say right. and applying it, right? So, so this, this, and I call it the new stroke, but, but this new, new system seems to me to be, you, you seem to be less susceptible as a swimmer to crossing the center line when you take a stroke. Yeah. You know how some people, they go like this and they want right. to go over here. Right. If you're coming like this, you're going to be in the water there. It's almost like a butterfly kind right. of a thing. So people that so are just listening, Lou's demonstrating oh. <laughs> a high, high, very acute angled elbow right, during the right. recovery versus a straighter arm el- recovery, yeah, right? Exactly. So, um, which is in, in, an interesting thought as well because usually people cross over from a disconnect of their body. Right. So it's like they've right. placed their hand in and then they've rotated their hip and that's, that's why right. they've crossed over. That's where right. with this the circle freestyle system, uh, it's more about your body moving your arms. So that opportunity is diminished for right. sure. Right. So it's, it, that's interesting you bring that up. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is, this, all of this is so exciting because you know, you get to try new things. Yeah. And, and it's frustrating. And it's a learning process. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, you know, when you've had the same car over and over for year after year, and then they change where the cruise control is. It's like, right. why do they do that? There's no reason to do that. But in swimming, there's a reason, reason. to do yeah. that. There's a reason to change this stuff right. because it rewires your brain. It realigns your thinking. Yeah. It, you, you help to understand where you're weak. Yeah. You see what muscles you're not really using yeah. that you should be using. And that's important. And worst case, somewhere you do it for six months, you don't like it. You Switch know back. You got 20 years of old crap anyway. Go back to it. <laughs> you know, if that's yeah. going to keep you from sitting in front of the TV and eating potato chips and watching bad TV, then good. Right. You yeah, know, I mean, I think um, for, for swimming in general, it's, it gets very tricky for us to measure things within water. Yes. Right. So as science right. has improved measurements out of the water, right. now we're starting to catch up in the water. And we're starting right. to learn a lot about how someone should move through water. The average person should move through water as right. opposed to those elite athletes that you, you know, sit there and watch. Those yeah. are outliers. All of them are outliers. Absolutely. They can get away probably with a lot Absolutely. more bad technique than the average That's person. Right. And, and they do. And, and so it's, it, yeah. it becomes detrimental to people to compare themselves to elite athletes. Right. Because just because that elite, a- elite athlete can do something well. Right. Or they're swimming as fast doesn't mean they're doing it to the best of their ability. That's right. And we're seeing that um, in the swimming world when you compare how Phelps swam fly mm-hmm. versus like when, um, what year was it? 2012 when he got all those medals? Was that oh, yeah. Right? I think it was. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. Um, 2016. Yeah. Right. Where he was getting beat. In the hundred fly, oh and then right, where, and that where he lost the hundred yes, fly, right? Because the kid that beat him, I know the first guy. The, I only know first names apparently. Yeah, the first name of that swimmer was Joseph. I don't remember his last name. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. he was able. That kid was able to make the adjustments that Phelps was coached on previously that Phelps did not want to make because it wasn't his stroke. Wow! And so it was those small adjustments that allowed yeah. this kid to improve the technique of his fly to then eventually beat his idol, Michael Phelps, which is kind of sense. cool, right? Yeah. It's kind of a neat thing. If That's you're right. too set yeah. in your ways, 
the younger generation isn't, they learn those techniques. That's right. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting thought process to kind of it go, is. well, maybe I can learn something and, and implement it and not be beholden to, I swim this way. Right. So, And I mean, when you think about it, I don't mean to trash other sports because if you're doing any sport, that's better than doing no sport. But really, if you're playing a sport, you know, if, if you're playing racquetball, when's the last time you changed your, your technique? Yeah. Or golf. Right. You know, Tiger he, Woods, actually, would, would he's Tiger a great Woods, he would say every time he wins a tournament, he starts over again. He tears his stroke down completely. He starts with a new trainer. He starts with new people. They teach him a new stroke, and he finds ways to improve. Right. This was, uh, that quote's got to be 15 years old. So. Right, and n- yeah. now he's, he's coming back. Yeah, he's coming That's back. kind of amazing. Again. That's right. That's really amazing, actually. Yeah. It's very impressive. It is. Uh, it is. All right, so let's. I don't know where we are time-wise. We could assume we're past 30 minutes. I would think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's wrap it up a little bit here. Great. How can people do more to help out the living... Global well, Healthy Glo- Living Foundation. Global Healthy Living Foundation. Thank you. So actually, in the last, gosh, since 2014, we have spent about $10 million in research. We have an app called Arthritis Power. Okay. And if you have arthritis... And I can tell you, everybody over 45 has arthritis. Okay. You have osteoarthritis. But if you have uh, rheumatoid arthritis or any of the autoimmune arthritis or osteoarthritis or um, psoriatic arthritis, uh, also IBD, uh, inflammatory bowel syndrome, or okay. psoriasis, go to Arthritis Power. It's an app, arthritispower.org, or go to the App Store and download it. Okay. And what you're doing, is, this is completely confidential. This is IRB, Institutional Review Board approved. This is HIPAA compliant stuff. We're not talking about Facebook here. Right. We're talking about a serious <laughs> research database. Right. And you can participate in research uh, by entering your own data, which is all anonymized, and then we use that data Great. on a longitudinal basis. You can also participate in independent projects. We have one with smartwatches where we're giving away the crappy one. Um, the Fitbit? Yeah, Fitbit. There we <laughs> the go. The crappy one. <laughs> and, and I mean, it is crappy. It is not. Yeah, yeah. It's not high end. No. We had to do a lot of analysis to understand where it wasn't working, because, but it's cheap. Right. And the ones that work perfectly are a thousand bucks, and right. we're not going to do that. Right. So you can qualify for a free Fitbit. You wear it. We'll record all your data. You'll put it in your smartphone. It'll go right into the app. Cool. And then you'll answer questions on a regular basis. And what we're able to do, you can see if you go to our website, uh, ghlf.org, you'll see all the research papers that have been published. We talk about how you can medicine, how you can take different kinds of medicines that have different outlooks, uh, excuse me, different effects. Yep. We talk about marijuana. Uh, We're one of the few people who have done the beginnings of research into marijuana. The U.S. is very far behind on that. Yes, they are. Uh, We talk about activity, movement, uh, words, interactions with physicians, all of that. Great. Um, We also have Twitter chats. We just had a Twitter chat last night. Mm -hmm. We get an average of 6 million or so impressions. Wow. Um, And last night we talked about chronic pain versus acute pain. Mm -hmm. So you can go to Twitter. The Twitter chat is... uh, Creaky joints. Uh, yeah, hashtag creaky joints. Okay. And um, so, yeah, that's the easiest way. You can, if you, if you have a desire to go argue with Congress <laughs> or state legislators, 
Uh, you can join what's called the 50-state network. You see it all on the website, ghlf.org, and you can sign up for that. We have people in every state. Um, if you're close to a state capital, we'll definitely use you, and we'll send you in, we'll prep you, and, and you'll go talk and explain your healthcare issues. We're very interested in insurance companies and how much they're charging. Yeah. People, people create huge amounts of, of anxiety over pharmaceutical companies. At least they produce something. Insurance true. companies produce nothing. That's true. And they make so much more money than pharma does, it'll blow you away. I and never considered that, but that makes complete my God, sense. They are licenses to print money. Yeah. And they control your medical care. They yeah. tell your doctor what drug you can have. Right. And we're constantly negotiating with these folks to try to get a little bit more, like an insurance company will cut a deal with a drug manufacturer to get a drug cheaper. Mm -hmm. They will then say, you're on drug A, we just got drug B cheaper, we're going to switch you to drug B. Right. No questions, you don't get right. to argue with them. Well, okay, if you're going to do that, at least give me some of those savings. Because you're getting that drug cheaper. Why aren't I benefiting? Right. When a drug goes generic, my Lipitor, I don't take Lipitor, but a person who takes Lipitor drops from 50, 100 bucks a month down to four. They participate in the savings when a drug goes generic. We have the equivalent of those kinds of savings that are occurring now by negotiating with drug companies, but the, farm, but the insurance companies are keeping it for themselves. themselves. It drives us nuts. That so, is maddening. Yeah. And they hate us for that. Oh, yeah. But that's life. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you for calling them out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I Happy appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. Right. Um, yeah. All right. Any Anything else to wrap up? Nope. Good. I think we're good. I'm yeah. sure we will do this again in the future, by the way. I really appreciate this. You're, yeah, yeah. you're a, a great guy to do this. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, it's obviously been a pleasure talking with you. So thank you so much. Anyone that's listening, uh, you know, obviously you can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and now on iTunes, Spotify, all over the place. Uh, feel free to share the podcast with your friends. Please, if you haven't already subscribed and rate the podcast, if you want to contribute anything to the podcast, questions or comments, we do actually always like feedback. Uh, just try to keep it positive, please. And so you can find our emails really easily on our website at theswimbox.com. And if you want it, by the way, if you give out email information, people will contact you. Uh, right. So I, we get contacted all the time. I don't know if you want sure. to. Or not. Yeah, it's L Tharp, T-H-A-R-P, like Paul at ghlf.org. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Reach out to email. Lou. Yeah. Good. All right. It was a pleasure, and we'll do this again. Thank you. Thank you. See you later.